Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Pretend World's Real People. As always, I'm Tyler, and it's official. On Friday the 13th, this May 13th, I turned 30. Don't feel any different. Don't think I will, outside of I'm, I'm very knowledgeable and very aware of what I've eaten this weekend, and that it does not, <laughs> it does not feel great uh, as far as like just moving around afterwards. We went to a smash room, went paintballing, Tell you, after having a bunch of carbs and sugar, then going out and exercising, it's a whole new level when you get older. Uh, <laughs> and I say that having been 30 for a couple days now. Uh, but I want to say thank you to everybody who wished me happy birthday. It was a wonderful weekend. I'm glad I took the whole weekend off. And now it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I want to see what happens in this next decade of my career as I get older, but I still look like I'm 22. <laughs> we'll see if I can get on season three of Euphoria. Who knows? Anyway, let's get into the real reason why you're tuning in this episode. It is our lovely chat with Alice Wetterland. Now, you may not know her name. Uh, if you're somebody who just kind of tunes in to TV or stand-up comedy here and there, but you may have heard her stand-up. She's hilarious or seen her many performances in uh, such projects like Silicon Valley, People of Earth, or my personal favorite, Resident Alien. Or if you're a fan of just all comedies, Mike and Dave need wedding dates. She plays Cousin Terry, and she's absolutely hilarious in it. We had an amazing chat, and uh, I got to hear more about her story, how you know she really appreciates the performance art, and how that really drives her career, and then also the things that she likes to do outside of her career. I mean, she she's a huge fan of Star Trek, as you may not see since this is audio form, but she has a couple different ships that she was flying around. Uh, we get a little cameo from her cat, so it was a... Just a hoot and a half talking here. Hopefully, I'd have her back on the show, especially once Resident Alien comes back later in the summer. Uh, yeah, it was just an amazing chat. Had a lot of fun with her, and I can't wait for all of you to hear it. So, let's get right to it. Let's sit down with Alice Wetterland. My name is Alice Wetterland, and I am a comedian, stand-up comedian by trade. I have a special on Amazon. My mom is a human and so am I. But I'm also an actor and I am currently on a TV show called Resident Alien where I play Darcy Bloom. Yeah. <laughs> Big fan. Um, just going to say that on the low key. Uh, so I guess Thank the, the <laughs> I do want to know, what is it like being on a, a show that's, you know, been renewed for more than than one season. I mean, most actors can't even get past the pilot episode. So what what are you feeling right now as season two is kind of in its, you know, mid-season sort of break? Yeah, I mean, everything is sort of relative in Hollywood. You know, you really notice that with... Um, anytime you're, you're struggling, you know, you always are like this, if I could just get past this, if I could just get over this hurdle then my problems will go away. And then you get a season of television, like past the pilot. And you're like, you know, if we could just get a season two, you know, it's just like always, no matter what level you're at, you know, it's just literally like, and then I think it's like, if you're like at a certain level, like if you're like Tom Hardy or whatever, you're like, oh, if I could just get this 
dog rescue chain off the ground. You know, I don't know like what it is at that point, but like <laughs> it sort of circles back to normal life or something, you know, like if I could only get my super yacht to go 700 miles an hour, I could leave the earth. It's there's always problems is what I'm saying at every level. So I will say that to, to excuse my complaining about um, anything that I say, but it is, I will say incredibly gratifying to be on a show that I love you know, uh, being renewed because that's the real rarity. Like getting on a show that gets renewed is a rarity. Getting on a show that gets renewed that you love and love everybody that works on it and think that the story is really funny and the concept is really cool is very rare. So that is kind of the, the brass ring for me. Yeah. I will say that it's a show that I waited to watch until, I don't know, six months ago and you know I was a fan of yours uh, I was a fan of Alan so I thought okay it's going to be a fun first season no matter what but yeah it's it's one of the best shows I've seen in the last like 10 or 20 years it has a lot of heart has a lot of comedy your character is just fucking awesome uh and of course you like you bring so much to that character too so it is uh yeah like you said it is rare to find a show that you can connect with that you're also you know working on you know within your career so I do want to kind of rewind a little bit and ask you, you know, you, you started at, you know, UCB and started performing on stage. What was the, uh, what was the initial, I guess, plan for your journey? If you had one, were you always just planning on stand-up comedy only, or did you have thoughts about acting as well? Or like, what was your, uh, what was your, your game plan when you first started? Um, when I first started doing uh, comedy, it was sort of like, the end of the road um, situation. I, I wanted to act when I was in grade school. I wanted to be an actor and um, be a performer at least. Um, I, I am an only child and the first of pretty much all the other little kids in my family. So I grew up for like until I was eight I was the only child of a giant, like both sides of my mom's side and my dad's side. There was no cousins, you know, I did have one cousin, um, on my dad's side that was like sort of my audience, but, um, and he was very supportive of my standup, my early (laughs) five-year-old standup, but, um, I just got very good at entertaining adults at a very young age, you know, um, and making them laugh and understanding kind of like a more subtle sense of humor and when I was little I I wanted to act and I enrolled in like theater sort of camp type activities and it was pretty cool and then I got to high school and I just got I don't know like I became um we're not supposed to do that He's so cute, though. I can't yell at him. He's just peeking behind the right side of your head every couple of seconds. <laughs> He's, like, making biscuits on this. I have to resew the cover for it anyway, so whatever. It's yeah, what? I can't stop is that it. a, it's too Is that a cute. bed? That's a giant beanbag. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it is a bed. My favorite thing is that it's, like, a, the biggest. It's, like, a seven-foot-long beanbag chair, and then in the middle of it is, like, a, a cat. So it's like the, it looks like just the world's largest cat bed for one tiny spoiled cat. Cause I sit on it. I'm, it's for humans, but. Are you sure? I don't know. I feel like he's no, got, he's got full reign of that. For those who are listening, her, uh, 
her adorable kitty is hanging out on this big ass bean bag. Oh, there. (laughs) That's going on our Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah. So I, you know, I got, I sort of high school jaded. Like I just was, there was like this sort of like vibe to theater like that you know like theater kids and it was just like you know jazz hands and like you know I got your back just like super all these like in jokes with theater kids that had these in jokes and I just was like I think coming from um being I my sense of humor was always like kind of dark and kind of like I don't know I I started hanging out with like stagecraft individuals who are by and large goth and sort of like punk aesthetic and I just was like yeah theater kids are cheesy you know and I did want to perform but I was just like I'm too good for this kind of thing like I'm in I'm too intellectual for this world sort of and it just it wasn't yeah it didn't we didn't mix um (laughs) and I sort of rejected that whole world until I um got well out of college you know and part of it was like I auditioned I auditioned early on for all these um productions in this high school I went to the same high school as um Josh Hartnett and it was kind of a theatery and I never got a call back and I think that was part of it too I was just like well you know like I'm great so you don't understand and I just started like painting and doing visual art and i left performing entirely pretty much for a really long time and then when I got out of college I just didn't know what to do (laughs) at all for like a really long time and I did all the drugs and then um basically yeah I took an improv class on a whim my friend was like I'm gonna take an improv class we should do it you know a friend and I and then he just didn't get his button gear to register and I went to my first 101 UCB class and and it sort of opened up the world for me in a way that um I wasn't expecting it it was something intellectually that I felt like I could sink my teeth into and that feeling had been absent in my life for so long that it just was like okay I'm in all the way and I started just doing improv 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 and then I met someone who did stand up and I convinced him to take me to open mics. And then I just fell in love with the open mic community at that point in New York. And I was just like, it was on. So. And it seems like at least joining the improv class, there weren't, I don't say there weren't any stakes involved, but you weren't auditioning. You were just, you know, practicing a craft and kind of getting to experience it. So I'm sure that gave you more of a I don't know, just a, a more positive sense of retainment, so to speak. Yeah, it did. And I think that when I was exposed to um, like the audition process at the school I was at when I was in high school, <clears throat> there was an element of like nepotism. Like it, even though it was high school theater, there was already, you know, cliques and people's parents involved and I think that I took one look at that and was like just not emotionally ready for it really you know like the politics of of the world and 
you know, the thing that kind of ruins everything, but like that it's a part of life that we have to deal with. I was not emotionally ready for that for like a really long time. And when I started doing comedy and I, I, I got so lucky, so quick, like I, I met an, a commercial agent through UCB who picked me up immediately, um, sent me out on auditions, which is somewhat normal, but not that normal for UCB at the time. I mean, UCB at the time was just like packed. There was so many people there. And, um, so I got like seen by this agent, Phil Cassis of Talent Works, who's still amazing and represents so many high quality, like really amazing comedians in New York. But he, um, I guess saw something in me and put me out. And then I got, I booked an AT&T commercial that literally paid my bills for like three years. It was so lucrative and commercials are not that lucrative anymore. (laughs) They used to be, (laughs) Um, but it's just like, I I just went from zero to 60 professionally. And um, I I just, that was another thing. It gave me this like spark of like, like, Ooh, come over here to this world. You know, you're going to do so great. You know? which is something I had always suspected in the back of my head. Like if I started performing, I'd be like on SNL instantly. Like I wouldn't have to languish in open mics. And that of course was not true, but um, I really think it came to my life when I was sort of going to be more emotionally ready and mature. Like the fact is like being, doing something for a living and something artistic for a living and, and competing in that, craft, you know, like having to do a craft and then actually making it something that you make a living from and that you do professionally and that you're competing against others. It takes an immense amount of like emotional, like, yeah, just wherewithal. You have to have a thick skin. You have to have um, perspective. You have to have support and I didn't have any of that stuff when I was younger I just had an attitude you know like I just had I mean you know I was an alcoholic really and I I I was not in any kind of recovery and I I didn't have any um you know therapists were like throwing up their hands with me and they're just like I don't know what to do (laughs) like stop drinking Jesus and uh and and I think I I came into um, this sort of discipline at a time in my life when I was like ready to get serious about, you know, being, doing adulting. Yeah. <laughs> you feel like it gave you a, uh, a regimen that I guess wasn't really something you're interested in if you had, you know, like you were seeking therapy or yeah. seeking help. So this gave you tools to use in a quote unquote hypothetical scene, but it still felt like I'm sure you were emitting your own emotions, right? It, it- well, doing something I loved um, professionally um, gave me something to care about. And like you say, the stakes became really high after a while. Like wh- when I started doing Girl Code and I got a manager and I um, started touring. I mean, I did stand up for years and in New York doing like shows here, shows there. And then eventually you get like something like Just for Laughs festival and you kind of start to make your way. Um, when I started touring and auditioning for pilots and getting them, 
you know, the stakes got really high and it was like, you know, you'd meet with these agents and they'd say things like, you ready for your life to change? Okay. You know, and, and it's just like, <laughs> what? Like, and you'd be like, yeah, I am. It's going to be great. You know, and then nothing happens, of course. Yeah. And they, then you made another set of agents and they're like, you ready for your life to change? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, things became really intense. And I loved what I have, what I, I love what I do so much, you know, that it's heartbreaking. It's heart, it's heart wrenching to lose a job to some reason that doesn't have anything to do with merit or whatever. It's, it's all those things are like, you know, it sucks, but it's like, it kills me. And because I didn't have you know, and I, I'm, I'm only, I'm in recovery now, but this was six years ago that I got sober. Like I was without like a raft in an ocean and I didn't have any idea what, you know, like this thing was going to kill me. Um, so I think that it helped me get to the point where I could be in recovery and have like the tools because it was like, okay, here's something you're going to lose, you know? And if you lose this, you, your career, as it were, like, if you lose, this is the thing, you know, that you're going to lose. And I, I was prepared to lose everything else, but like, except for my career, um, that I kind of had. So, uh, yeah, so it, it, it got me there, but I don't really remember why we started talking about this. So that means you're good at this. (laughs) (laughs) I, well, my, my day job, well, uh, for, I don't know, the first eight years of my career was, being a bartender so <laughs> just talking to people is just, oh, so you're just good at that with me <laughs> no, no, just, just like so how's your day going and then yeah. it's like peeling the okay. onion and take another layer off uh no it's this is this is a very safe space and this is another reason why i wanted to do this this podcast two years ago was you know there's a lot more to uh, performers than just what's on the resume you mm-hmm. know there's so many reasons behind it and uh, I, I will say like the first thing I ever saw you in was uh, you had an appearance on Conan and you were doing you know stand up on Conan and then I think like a week later I saw you and Mike and Dave need wedding dates and I was I was just hooked like she's she's awesome and then you know seeing you kind of build your resume from there and seeing the commercials and seeing Resident Alien I just want to know, uh, based on what you were talking about before, how are you feeling comfort-wise in, in your career? Do you feel like you are looking for that next big thing, or are you kind of riding the wave and just letting sort of other things come to you? How are you navigating Oh, I'm place? just, thank you, by the way, um, for saying I'm awesome and thinking that. I, I really appreciate it and have to say that, like, people that connect with what I'm doing and see something, like it's the greatest thing you can imagine because, you know, like that, that to me is as, I mean, as a stand-up, I feel like I'm a stand-up first. And so my audience is really important to me, you know, and they connect with me and we have, we're, it's a dialogue. Right. So I, I'm really appreciative of that. Um, but, uh, where I'm at, it, it, it oscillates, it oscillates honestly, because I'm a very emotional person. So it oscillates between like immense gratitude, like unbelievable, um, appreciation for just like the process and the, like, I just, the, 
impalpable sustenance of all things and what has been given to me by some divinity. And then also like, uh, I need to get this fucking show on the road or else I'm going to fuck it. You know, it's like, it really, you know, um, but I'm in this part of my journey where I've really sort of started trusting, um, I don't know, like I, I'm surrounded by people who see me like my, um, like I have, I work with a management team that sees me. I have, um, uh, incredible, the incredible good luck of working with Chris Sheridan, who wrote this part for me, you know, um, and he, and Jenna Lamia, his, his fiance who writes the show as well, have given me a ton of encouragement, you know, just for like helping for my work and helping create Darcy, but, you know, also seeing me as like a writer, you know, and, and as a stand-up, I am a writer and, and, and supporting what I bring, um, intellectually to, to performing. Uh, and so I just, yeah, I full, I feel really, really fulfilled right now and seen and um it feels like the world is opening up to new venues new like new platforms I gotta say like with you know and I think TikTok and streaming have have changed a lot of the um, it's, it's changed the game for what like seeing yeah. content is and also the amount of TV shows have changed the game and there's definitely pros and cons to that but I, I I try to choose to love it I try to choose to appreciate it because there are things in you know there are things in that for somebody who who came up old school like there's definitely fun to be had. I'll say that. So I'm, I'm doing like a lot of stuff. I'm got my little office set up. I'm a gearhead. I have, <laughs> um, you know, I, I do a lot with podcasting and, um, I work a lot with, um, uh, Paul of Tompkins who that's another thing, like knowing Paul, I have to say like, <laughs> it's just like, so I'm going to cry because like when I first started doing stand up, like, in New York, um, my friends and I just, we were like, Paul F, like, he's like the number one, you know, like he's the greatest. Like we had a couple, you know, there's a lot of different people we looked up to like Wendy Liebman's joke writing, whatever. Like there's just people who are legends. And Paul was really one of those people. And then I came to LA, I met him at a standup festival and I became friends with him. And in the most bizarre, um, un, uh, like unexpected turn of events, like he's not an asshole. Like he's a, he's a friend, you know? And I don't, I want to be that person for somebody someday. You know what I mean? Like if somebody ever feels that way about me, which I, I want to be the person for them, who's like, I became friends with Alice Wetterland and she rules. Like that's crazy because you know, and now I get to make comedy with him and it's great. And he's just the greatest. And like, that is one of those things where it's like, okay, everything's worth it. You know, 
so anyway, he does a lot of streaming stuff and, and online content. And so we're kind of working on things together and there's other people in the mix there and yeah. And so, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting for that uncontrollable smile to just take over. Oh my God. Is that the enterprise? I just, yeah, this is like when I get my office set up, you got to have the enterprise D, uh, NCC ones. Oh, the one one seventeen oh one D. Like, don't There's, remember who gave it. You're making it very easy for me to promote this episode on social media. Oh, good. So I'm just Perfect. letting you know. Between the pull up bar on your lintel over there and the, your, your, <laughs> the pull up bar is so bro y. It like, <laughs> I don't use a pull up bar in my home. Like, that's, I'll say that. My boyfriend feel like you're be, like wandering in the door. My boyfriend just comes in, like, wanders in the door when he's like, how's it going? It's <laughs> like, <laughs> get out of here pump before dinner <laughs> totally a pump before dinner well you you've given I'm like how's dinner coming <laughs> by the way hey i i do that. i have a i have a quote-unquote prison gym in my garage because my girlfriend has so much storage in there so i have eight by six to to you gotta. yeah so i will i will cook dinner take a break when it's on low go out to the garage, finish my workout, go back inside, and I get shit for leaving the dinner. You and Garrett. <laughs> exactly the same, man. Hey, I, I grew up fat, so I got to make sure none of that comes back, you know, with a vengeance. To get you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you you brought up something that that's really, um, you know, it's very sweet to think about, you know, meeting your heroes can be a very rewarding and fun experience. There's a lot of people who've met their, their heroes, people they look up to, and maybe they cut the person on the bad day and it just, yeah. it's not, it's not great. Uh, we've all had those experiences, but exactly. that's so awesome that you're friends with him. You get to work with him and you know, you're, you're, you're adopting that same sort of sensibility he has where it's, I'm just, I'm a person, you know, I, I, I yeah. like a person. And also career wise, like Paul really does have like this, um, philosophy about being a performer that I, um, is really influential to me. He, he got to this point doing stand-up and he was like, you know, I feel like I've reached this audience that they're, I like that audience and I don't need different audience. I don't need to do stadiums. I don't want to reach those people. Like, I love that he got to a point where he feels like the people that know him and love him and respect what he's doing um, are enough. And it is true because the world that we're in now, there's so many, like I was saying, there's so many shows, there's so many ways to get content. Like, you know, to become um, famous on a level where everybody knows your name, you know, is one, it's one way of doing things, but it isn't the way because there's really pros and cons to that. You know what I mean? There's like, there's a lot of misunderstanding and there's a lot of like strategizing that you have to do with what you're doing creatively. And it's like, yeah, you're, you might not make the same impact with the thing that you make, right? As, as, as you do, if you're like aware of the fact that this is only going to reach this certain audience. And for me, that, that really resonates because, um, my favorite audience engagement that I ever get are (laughs) the 0.01% of people who reach out to me who are not 50 year old white men. Um, (laughs) no offense, 50 year old, I have some very good 50 year old white men fans who are very not inappropriate, who are just normal nerdy guys who like my comedy and are like, we love you and their dads and whatever. And they're fine. But then again, you know, there's the other percent, but then the women who reach out to me, who 
are like, I really appreciate, you know, and I, I feel that so much, like seeing me speak out and say things that, um, I feel need to be said. Um, and you know, um, dunk on misogynists and make it fun, you know, like make it fun to be somebody who, uh, dunks on bigots. Like that is, you know, when, when I feel like people see somebody having fun being like somebody who bullies misogynists, like, like I'm the cool, like I'm the cool kid on campus. You know what I mean? Like, and it gives them a feeling of inclusivity and, um, I don't know, badassery that, that I, I hope to give them. And that really, it's, it's everything to me. So, um, that audience is the audience that I'm always looking to care about and to reach and help and, and be with. Um, so, so yeah, I, I love the idea that we just, we have our audiences, man, and we don't need to reach, I don't need to reach, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, Mars or whatever. Um, yeah. And I, I hope Elon Musk doesn't know who I am because I, I do say a lot of mean things about him. I'm sure he's got a fake account somewhere. It's just angrily watching your newest stand-up special or little tidbits. <laughs> Elon, this is for you. <laughs> if you somebody I was arguing with somebody about this slap the other day. And um oh, like, the Oscar slap or the TV yeah. show. Slap? And I was like, I and they were like, Don't you worry it as a comedian? And I'm like, no. I don't do like weird personal vendetta jokes. Like I'm not talking about anybody on stage whose wife would slap me or whose husband would slap me. Like I don't do that because I'm not like coming after anybody weirdly except Elon Musk. And I said, <laughs> look, if Elon Musk wants to come on like stage and slap me in front of the world, like I would present my face because A, I'm touring off of that. And then I might also take down Elon Musk in the process, which like win-win, you know? I mean, it's pretty great. <laughs> I will say on your special, I, I was dying laughing. You had brought up the idea that, you know, uh, uh, this is all just stemming from a personal insecurity of mine. I'm turning 30 in May and uh, just everything that comes about with that. But you saying, you know, yeah, after you turn 30, you just start to die. Uh, and you become less attractive to serial killers. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, there's a thought. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of pros. <laughs> I was it's great. So, yeah, I'm 40. And you do not look 40 well, at all. And you don't, filters. you definitely don't act 40. I'm like, let me, how do I turn the filters off? I don't know how. Are, I, you're like, I definitely don't act 40. That's really <laughs> you're, you're like a 27-year-old post-law school student, you know? Oh. You're, so <laughs> you're trying to recover. Um, you're an immature adult. Uh, yeah. I, yeah, there's, I there's no way it. for me to recover from that. It came off as a compliment and more like, a, well, what does that mean? Oh, well, um, I'm just going to go over here. Uh, <laughs> But um, I'm going to stew in it. Oh, I, I did stand up for three years when I oh, really? thought I could be. Yeah. In I Denver? I could be really, yeah. I, I started in 20, actually right after high school. So Denver has um, an amazing stand up scene. It was always oh, amazing. And a lot of the people I met there, I just saw a comedy works when I saw Ron yeah. Funches. Comedy and, works is one of the best clubs in the country. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, part of me, I, I kick myself for not sticking with it, but 
I also just like to stew in the awkwardness when a joke doesn't oh, yeah. land and it's like, yeah, this is good. This is better than a hot shower. <laughs> Thank you guys. I really appreciate this. The um, salt shower. Yeah, the salt shower. So uh, I do want to gear it, gear it back to you and away from this awkwardness and no way, shape or form am I pushing or deterring the conversation away from what just happened. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> your, your move towards, you know, acting on screen from, you know, just stand up and doing commercials. What was that uh, transition from? Was it something that, you know, you're just doing auditions or maybe it was something you're kind of opening up to? What was, uh, what was that transition like for you? Um, it was a series of humbling, uh, sort of, uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, situations. I, I had, um, a lot of hubris, you know, Mm. stand up being an sort of art form that requires it. You are like, you know how rappers are like, I'm the best, like standups think that always. (laughs) And there's this sort of thing where I, I I don't know I had acted kind of as a child and I I felt like I can do this you know it's so easy and you know doing having done commercial it was like yeah what are, what are they doing on like you know always sunny that I'm not doing in every commercial that I'm in or whatever and I just like had done so much improv and I was just like this is you know going to be a cakewalk. And I, um, I took to it. Yeah. I definitely took to acting on, on camera. Um, I felt very comfortable, very, very comfortable, almost too comfortable. And there's, there was moments of, of like needing to be humbled because I thought, you know, for a long time, like, oh, well, comedic acting is easier than dramatic act. I mean, d- comedic acting is harder than dramatic acting because dramatic acting is just, is just the base acting. And then comedic acting is like dramatic acting with timing and this sensibility about it. And in some ways I still do believe that, yeah. but there are other things that I have learned about <laughs> dramatic acting that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I didn't go to theater school. I didn't, get an MFA in acting. I don't have the training really to um, be doing what I'm doing, to be honest. Um, so if anybody hates my performance, uh, it's like, uh, agree. <laughs> um, oh, <no. laughs> you know, it, cause like, that's strange for me to be in a situation where I'm like, Ooh. Um, I, I did this show called, well, I don't want to say what it was called, but I did a show uh, I got a cast in a multi multi episode arc on a dramatic series, and I did it, and I watched it back, and I was like, "Oh boy, <laughs> nobody said anything." I thought I was doing great, whoo, you know. Uh, and obviously, we're gonna be more critical of ourselves, but then, yeah. you know. But I was just like, "Ugh, I was doing something that no one else is doing." And I remember being in that situation, going like, "Why is everybody freaking out?" You know, like just not giving things sort of the credit they're due. I, I've learned and I hope to continue to learn. Um, yeah, uh, to come prepared, you know, and, and really see, yeah, see the full picture. So being Darcy and being Darcy this season, uh, has been, um, there's a lot, there's a lot of dark stuff that Darcy is, you know, we're going into each person's sort of backstory in, in this 
moment in the show and Darcy's been under a lot of pressure and she's put herself under a lot of pressure. And so I've been in that, you know, um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's been, it, it was a tough season in that way, but, um, yeah, transitioning to acting has been just, I'm just grateful for it on the whole. Like it's crazy to be able to, um, to do both things, to do both things is, is an incredible creative release and exploit for me that is just an absolute dream so did did you hear that like my desk makes a weird gong noise I don't understand (laughs) I feel like you just found that's no good (laughs) right like you don't want that to I'm not cutting that out though (laughs) this is insanity so you know just drop it's it's essentially a mic drop it's I don't even know what is making that noise my my boyfriend is an audio engineer so I will get him in here as I'd say yeah get, get him figure this shit out <laughs> I, I do I do want to know did you ever take an acting class though speaking on that or was yeah, it okay I, I just uh, you were you were uh uh giving me flashbacks to I think it was I don't know something it was probably an episode of workaholics Adam did where he said, I don't need good luck. You know, I'm hundred percent skill and just like goes off and does something. But <laughs> I love Adam divine. Can I just, I love that guy so much. He is a wonderful person and just so good to work with. So I just have to say that everybody on that, in that movie was amazing. Was awesome. um, but like the super famous people, people always want to know, like, are they, like yeah. are they Adam cool? is great. He's a great dude. <laughs> uh, that'll be good to know. I. Uh... My little brother looks exactly like him, and it's it's the oh, weirdest thing. I can oh, see it's, that. It's yeah. crazy. Uh, I can see that. But uh, yeah, I just I, I had to ask, knowing that you know you had that that sense of oh yeah. man, I got to really look into <laughs> honing these skills before I go off and do other stuff. Because every yeah. I think every actor has that that moment of pure clarity, or it's oh shit. Oh. Yeah, I, and and I think <laughs> the fact that um, Darcy came from my I created her with Chris you know in a lot of ways I see that but like that makes it has has made me feel more comfortable to just play around sometimes and show up and do whatever and goof around kind of vibes and then sometimes it's put me in a position where I'm like this is a ton of pressure you know this 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 character you know that that Chris kind of worked into the story for me like that's a ton of pressure and I I I hope that sometimes I feel like I there's no way I can repay him there's no amount of work that I can do to make this be I mean I don't know as an actor right like having a part written for you is like the thing you know and especially by somebody that you respect and think is really funny and I mean, if somebody wrote me a part and they're just like, <laughs> and it wasn't good, I'd be like, yeah. but you know, this is, this is a special circumstance. So, um, so yeah, I, I, there's things this season two, I wish I could go back and, and work a little harder. Obviously. Really? Yeah, for sure. Is there for an me. example you're willing to, to share from maybe 
I don't know. Yeah, the actually, the there's a scene I have with Sarah um, where it, it was just like so much dialogue. And I often work on scenes with Sarah the day of like, I don't I don't I, I'm, I'm I get wow. off book like pretty easily, like pretty fast. I'll read the scene over. And if I read the scene before bed, I can get off book pretty easily, which is like, think I sh- definitely should be acting because. <laughs> <it's> <laughs> like, but then. <laughs> the wording kept tripping me up. Like I looked through the scene. I went through, it was like Sarah and I ran the scene before we got to set and we were off book and it was fine. And then, and then we get to set and we kind of just feel it out. Sarah and I, cause Sarah and I have like, we have it down, you know, we're friends in real life. We have chemistry. We have, you know, a real, like a, a, total dearth of like professional respect for each other's process and we just know how to do it so that I was relaxing into and then every single line I switched a word here or there I just couldn't you know and I think what it was is just like I was too relaxed I was too relaxed knowing Sarah was there I was too relaxed knowing like "Ah, I'm I'm off book I think and that usually works for me (laughs) um because of the way blocking works, you go through it once in blocking, you go through it once again. It just kind of works for me. But this time, my my mind was probably, oh, no. it was just, it, I, I looked at it and I was like, eh, this is probably a couple too many paragraphs, but I got it. You know, I was a little cocky, I'd say. And so <laughs> I wish I was just a little more, but you know, I, uh, I, I think, I think I learned my lesson. I think I, you know, I there's just th- that's what it is for me. It's like I have to be humiliated. I have to be like I have to be humbled. <laughs> you know, life just comes at me, and it's like you think you know what you're doing, bitch. Well, you know what you're doing. <laughs> so, well, I mean, you have somebody you you trust in the scene as well, right? So I could see that being, you know, oh, this is we do this every yeah. day. Like we're good. Yeah, you know? and Sarah is just <laughs> yeah one of a kind. I mean, she's it's like she's obviously her own person but if you watch julia roberts in the 90s like or whenever like if you watch her move around and like it's pretty close to like you could feel like working with julia roberts is working with sarah tomko sarah they move through this they move around the same way and they're so in it and they're so like this this bubbly sort of like i don't know the way that's kind of something Meredith Garrett and I came up with. So we're like, oh my God, they have such a movement in common. Um, but yeah, Sarah is just, and I also say one of a kind, but she is Julie Roberts. So that's sort of a good way of describing it. <laughs> one of a kind, just like Julie Roberts. Just like Julie Roberts. <laughs> I was listening to Dodgers radio the other day and they were like, the one and only Will Smith, because our catcher's <laughs> name is Will Smith. I'm like, I think the one thing you don't want to say, you can say anything about Will Smith, the catcher, but like the one and only is maybe not the thing you say <laughs> about Will Smith, the catcher, because he's not only shares the name of one of the most famous actors in the world, but there's also another Will Smith playing in the MLB right now. <laughs> so it's just like, no, not the one and only. <laughs> they need a verbal asterisk or something to go behind that. The, the singular. So. <laughs> well it's as an actor hearing that moment of I don't know is it extreme 
like an extreme humble hammer hits you over the head, that's always good to hear. Because a lot of us, no matter where we are in the space, if we're doing industrials, if we're doing commercials, if we're doing TV, film, we will all have a moment at some point or another where we're like, oh yeah, I got this. And you'll trip up. And then it feels like it, I don't know. It almost feels like you failed the crew in a sense. Yeah, 100%. Uh, that's exactly but, what it feels like. You're like, yeah. there's all these people that are there for this this, this part of this story that you're the leader of, you know, you're like, it's like being a team leader in a, in a, in a company where your your job is this, this part of the story is your job and you lead this part. You're the captain of that moment. And like, and if you, you know, if you blow it, they're like, okay, well, this is going to be a fun day. <laughs> like, damn it. Oh! No cookie for me at lunch. Damn it. <laughs> Well, going back to you, you know, you, you've done stand-up, you've been doing stand-up, you, you, you are a writer. What about writing something for yourself? Have you dabbled in that? Have you talked to maybe Chris about that, writing a project for yourself in the future? Or is that something that you're not interested in? Um, it's, I, it's something I wish I wasn't interested in. Sure. <laughs> <sometimes>. <laughs> because writing is, is one of probably the, the, writing is my Everest um it's (laughs) reminds me of this Nate Bargatze joke um where he's talking about this guy who climbed Mount Everest that comes to like companies to do inspirational speeches and he's like going around like what's your Everest keep in mind mine's Everest (laughs) the actual Everest um so but yeah it's it's a I've struggled with it for sure. That's probably the thing that I've struggled with the most is like, how do you have an idea and get it onto a page and do that in a vacuum of, you know, everything else that I do, everything else that I do is for an audience at all times, whether it's like a room of people here to see stand up, it's or improv or theater or um, a crew, you know, um, part as part of a film or a television show, like, how do you do something when there's no audience there to mm. hear what you're, you know what I mean? Like it, when you're writing, it's, there's this immense vacuum. And so I've written pieces, like I've written pilots that got bought. I got run pilot that Comedy Central bought oh, that's awesome. one time back in the day. It's sitting <laughs> on a shelf that nobody made it um, with my friend, Seth, Seth Whiteberg, who, uh, is a writer and he lives in New York now with his family, but, um, yeah, uh, it's writing stuff on my own is really, really hard. And Chris has been very encouraging to me. Um, but I am working on several, several things at all times that may or may not ever get finished. So I'm reticent to talk about it here because like, I don't want, you know, I don't want to like pump something up and there's like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but but yeah, it's the next sort of, I, I, I hope that it's the next um, thing for me because it's, it's hard to have ideas that don't come to life. And it's hard to feel like there's this whole universe out there that you could be working in and, and, and like be where Chris is at or Jenna is at, like these people that I work with that I've seen got you to this point. Jenna just had a show picked up on Netflix that she's show running now. And 
um, it's so gratifying to see her in that position, just knowing how skilled she is and um, how lucky that cast and crew is to work with her. And if any of them give her bullshit, I'm coming for you. Um, Just like to see that and think that that might be a possibility for me is like, whoo. So, uh, or as, you know, Jay-Z would say, ha ha. Like it's, so I, I, I hope, you know, that I can get my, my butt in gear. I definitely have the office almost set up, but then the thing is I want to write a script, but like the desk makes this noise. <laughs> That's the one thing holding it's, you back. It's, it's, it's nothing internal you know what I mean? or intrinsic. When your desk makes a noise, you're like, all right, I got that sentence finished. So it's not an endless black hole of YouTube videos or anything like that. You know? No. And it's not online shopping. It's just <laughs> <laughs> this next line. And what should it be? That's what it is. It's not solitaire on my phone. Come on. No, not at all. You know what I mean? Not at all. Not. It's not going like <laughs> in my enterprise. <laughs> I, what it is. I will say as a writer myself, it does not get easier at all. Good. Um, but you just learn to kind of, you just fell the wrong way. You learn to embrace that part. Cause I, I, I've been knee deep in scripts where you're, you know, oh, cool. I I was 20 pages in, I'm doing so well. And then a car honks outside and then it honks again. And you're like, Hey, what kind of car is that? That's too yeah. high pitched. So you gotta go investigate. <laughs> That's too many honks. That's you too know, many honks. and I'll say this to people who also are struggling. Like I figured out, uh, oh, you don't like, it is, it is when you're writing, you are in this like vacuum and you're like, and then like the ideas are there and they're between you and the, and it's just your head and this white page and it's very scary, but you don't actually have to do everything about the process in a vacuum. You can show the thing to people. You can talk it through. You know what I mean? Like there's things that you can do to make it less scarily, uh, um, soul crushingly empty. You don't, <laughs> so I, cause I, that's something I discovered that recently where I'm like, why am I do like, why am I pressuring myself? Cause I, my manager is working on this with me and I'm going this current thing I'm working on and, and, and I'm going like, I want to finish it before I send it to you. And then I'm like, this two months go by, you know what I mean? And I'm like, why do I want to finish it before I send it to you? When the real reason I'm not finishing it is I'm struggling with the ending. So like send it so that the person can go, you know, like give you some feedback. Cause that's their whole job. Like it's so crazy. <laughs> so we put ourselves through these dumb hoops. We make ourselves jump through these, you know, over these hurdles that have nothing to do with what's going to get us to the finish line yeah. you know they're just like oh i should do that and get better and get a, you know yeah it, it it just that's exactly right it doesn't have to be and so i mean spending years writing by yourself yeah that's cool you get to know your your voice but if someone doesn't like tear it apart with you what are you going to learn from right it? you know that's i think it's kind of hard for a lot of people to accept too <laughs> yeah it's true. for your betterment um oh yeah you didn't hear that did you um, it's for your betterment. I did hear that. Oh no, I, I hit my to, no, I no, sorry. It. I, I like hit my that. I hit my desk and it made another it made a noise similar to yours. So I want to make really? sure the was yeah. Okay. Um see, that makes me feel less alone. See? Yeah. <laughs> tar- target desks suitable for shaky audio. Uh 
<laughs> as uh, as we're kind of, because I don't want to take too much of your day, but as we're kind of wrapping up, I have a few really awesome, fun questions we like to ask on the show. Uh, okay. The first being, do you have a party story you could share with us? A Whether party be, story? Yeah, like something, uh, doesn't have to be industry related, but um, something that has happened in your life that could be like the, the worst day or the best day or something completely outlandish that has stuck out in your mind to the point where you are willing to tell that at yeah. a party. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I was thinking, I was like racking my brain for a story of something that happened at a party. I mean, that also works. <laughs> hmm. I was thinking of something the other day. Um, yeah, that like. Um, I guess like. I don't know why this story would be. Well, I mean. Okay, I guess I'll talk about skiing because that's the most recent thing that happened to me that I've been telling people. But like this um, character, you know, Darcy, she skis. And so um, there is a scene that I ski into, like I'm skiing in the scene. You know, there's stuff that's coming up where you see her. And I like, don't think that's a spoiler, but if it is... (laughs) I'm fired. Uh, but the, uh, I had ski lessons and me athletically, um, like I am, I'm very athletic and I'm very competitive and like, I play baseball, I lift weights, you know, I, uh, I ski now, um, I roller skate, I do all this stuff that like, uh, I'm constantly trying to try new things and like, I, I love to feel strong and, and capable and like the learning curve for skiing is, um, sort of slow and gradual. You, it, you takes a lot of practice. It's not something where like snowboarding, you kind of do it and do it and do it and do it. And then one day you're standing up on the board and it's sort of like a pop, you know, then you're kind of at the next level yeah. with skiing. It just takes a really long time to get there. And, um, I had had two uh, two hour practices or lessons with somebody that were mostly focused on stopping, which is great. Um, because I need to stop on camera. And so I felt like, okay, we're going to Whistler to film this stuff. Um, my boyfriend was with me and he snowboards and he's very good. So, um, everybody was excited to go to Whistler and finally like use the mountain. Cause I, I'd never gotten to use the mountain before. Um, because I don't snowboard, I don't ski. So like, I was like, got some, I did some skis and I went to the bunny hill and I started like practicing my little stop and my little go, you know, and my little climb. And then I started going down the hill, the little bunny hill. And I was like, felt like I was going 7,000 miles an hour, but I was just like, you see video of me and I'm like, you know, and I'm just going so slow, but I'm also screaming. Um, but it was really fun. And I just ran in the gondola up, coming down, ran in the gondola up, coming down. I went up and down the hill uh, like 10 times. And then my boyfriend who was on the top of the mountain was like, you know, there's a green all the way down. It just goes crisscross across the mountain. And so I'm just me, you know, and I'm like, let's do it. Let's do it. You know, live way too gung ho. (laughs) Then we're riding the gondola up and I'm like, still going out. <laughs> oh, it's going to go up still. Oh, here's, here's, here's where we're stopping. Okay. We stopped door opens. Oh, nope. Still going up. Okay. So it's like, 
we're going up so far that like we see Jeff Bezos in his like rocket and he's like, you're going up that high. Okay. (laughs) Like it's ridiculous. It it takes like an hour up anyway. So we get out and there's a green sign to the green like path. We start going down and we keep seeing these signs with like their names of like, like cookie row and like little kids. There's like signs with like little kids, like we're happy. We're not injured, you know? And like, we keep following down and one of the, we get off and there's like a, there's like, it's pretty long to get. I'm like, this is going to take hours to ski down this hill, but whatever. And then we see this sign that says like, I can't remember. It was like green tree way or something like that. And there's, and we like ski down it and around and then it like takes a sharp turn and then there's this sign like you hit right into the sign that says like welcome to the slingshot bitch and there's like (laughs) no other the green all the green signs are gone just this blue sign and it's like slingshot and then there's this one other sign up in the distance and you're like maybe that's what it is and it's like double black diamond this way don't turn back like like no more green it's just all so steep and i know it wasn't my fault because two people skied up right behind me and they stopped and they were like whoa what's the slingshot and i was like you're on the green line too and they're like yeah we don't know where eventually like i tried it couldn't do it at all took off my skis started walking down the hill then it was too steep to walk like it was that steep at a certain point, I'm just on my back, like holding my skis and like spinning while falling. And I'm like going like shred the gnar, because that's what you have to say. And we my boyfriend had taken off his snowboard and we had to just go into the forest. Like we couldn't, it was too steep. We couldn't, we had to just like basically go straight down the mountain through the forest because it was just like ridiculous. And at a certain point, like we, you know, we opened like a makeshift, makeshift school, you know, and like, we just, you know, we, we had like, we found our life out there. <laughs> That's how <laughs> we were out in the woods, you know, like we, you know, I think we found the ring, took it to Mordor and I think that's going to be okay. You know? Um, yeah, it was, it was wild, like how steep it got. And then we just like, finally like walked out onto a area where there's a gondola and we got it and went home shit (laughs) it was insane i mean and my boyfriend is or the two of us cannot be trusted because he's like you want to do it he's like go for it and i'm like (laughs) y'all talking about it like we're just so both (laughs) athletic and gung-ho and think we can think we're invincible so i guess lessons probably not learned (laughs) and you get to the top you get so what's our premium again yeah exactly Yeah, no, and I can't do. <laughs> I'm just looking for a spot for the helicopter. That's what's going to need to happen. <laughs> and I'm like, I can fly it. And we're like, okay, stop, <laughs> just stop everything. You guys didn't see the show? No, I was outside the helicopter. It was flying by itself. I got it to do that. <laughs> I got to do that. Yeah, I can actually control it in my mind. I was like, I'm not controlling her. <laughs> that is frightening because you yeah. i mean you're guaranteed the sign's guaranteed this is a safe place you're gonna have fun yeah <laughs> they're just like 
And then you kind of get into ski world and people just are like, you're like, oh, people don't really care about anything up here. They're just like, you feel like there's all this safety and then you get up to the oh, top yeah. and they're like, oh yeah, I think it's good. You're like, oh, these people should not be in charge of safety. <laughs> <laughs> so it's as if like everybody but, from Point Break just went yes, up 10,000 Exactly. <laughs> like those are the EMT and they're like, but it's really hard to breathe up here. You know, so it's like the altitude is like real tough. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> I uh you're, you're making me feel a lot better about my um my tubing only life choice oh you know? tubing oh <laughs> it's so much fun wonderful I should, <laughs> that's and you could blow it up a t- like yeah you huh, can have your own giving me an idea yeah. <laughs> like, I'll try skiing next time but I'll have a backpack on with an inner tube in it if anything goes wrong if you see a tube flying in the Canadian Rockies I saw (laughs) the Canadian Rockies. Exactly. I saw a guy with skis that were just like the bottom of his shoes were slick. Have you seen those? No. Is it like a mat, like a magnet, like attachment or something? Or like it's, it's literally like skis the size of the soles of your shoes. Like it doesn't go past the end. There's like little lips on the edges, but that's like what you're, you're just in slippery shoes. Listeners. Can you, can you confirm this? Crazy I, shit. I know it's real because wow. people that ski have been like, oh yeah, yeah. I forgot what they're called. But the, it looked crazy. I was like, what's the point? Like at a certain <laughs> point, because you're going down a hill and you're like, Yeah, you're thinking about it and you're going, Why would you make the bottom of what's on your feet slippery instead of not slippery? Right? Like it's yeah. just like the kind of thing where how did this get invented? <laughs> Why was somebody like, Oh, I think more slippery is good? I don't know. The former inline skater from uh, 98, banned from the X Games, decided to go this route. <laughs> that, wow, that, there's some stuff that's snow sport related. I just, I can't even fathom. I won't do yeah. it. I, yeah, no. Yeah. Uh, but I'd say that's one of the better stories we've ever had on this show because of like the different turns, literally, that it took. <laughs> and uh, since you survived it, I assume... You know, you're you're telling that story constantly. If somebody says they're gonna go skiing, um, <laughs> or do you let them find well, out the hard way? Yeah, it's sort of uh, yeah, I do let them find out the hard way yeah, because you, you know, like I just don't think that's something that most people like would go from like two lessons to like, yeah, I think I'm ready for the top of the mountain. Like it's just like an obvious in retrospect how dumb that was, but <laughs> um. I just really, I like to be good at things and I really want to yeah. believe that I'm like this prodigy who can just get good at anything, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm mortal. Turns out. <laughs> this feels like a really bad segue, but God, um, do you have any advice for our, our listeners, those who are either looking to get into the arts industry, maybe those who are working in it and just trying to find a way to, you know, essentially not give up. Do you have any advice you could pass on to our listeners? Mm. I would say either love what you do enough that you don't care that you don't get successful or be um, obsessed with success enough that you don't really care that you don't really love what you do. (laughs) That is the longest like fortune cookie. Like, like, it's amazing though, though. Ricky Gervais extras. Like, yeah, there's yeah. that thing at the end where he has to decide, like, do you want to be an artistic, you know, do you want to 
like have a career that you can respect what you do you do and mm-hmm. believe in what you do or do you want to be famous mm-hmm. like not a lot of people get both so you have to kind of choose one one or the other and like <laughs> and it. he chooses fame you know yeah. and and it's it's like which is a choice you know it's just it's valid it's valid to like want I don't know whatever you want but I think um I think most people get a grip of this, but like, it's important to not get confused about, um, what your goals are. Mm -hmm. And this industry has a lot of different moving parts and finding something that you're good at and that you can like, um, sink your teeth into, you know, like it's, that's the important thing. And I think, um, oh, the other thing is like, I don't know what, I I don't know why this pops into my head, but I love like the fact that there's some things about Hollywood that like don't work and are kind of broken, but the union of the crew and like the way that the crew functions and the way that like each department in a, in a really well-oiled production team and a crew, um, the, the way that it works, it's so great that like everybody knows how to do their job around the other people and it's kind of a wonderful dance when you see a really good crew working with each other like uh how um like sometimes actors get like uncomfortable with the fact that they're like number one on the call sheet or whatever and it's like it's just so that everything sorts around you know time wise you know what i mean and and so because it's really amazing because if you think about it in resident alien we did two like two episodes is two hours. And we did that in two months, you know, like that's crazy. That's a movie in two months. You know what I mean? And like the way that everybody, so I just kind of, kind of all of this to say that like each piece, um, like finding your piece of that puzzle, if you want to be a part of it is like a glorious thing, you know, and like where everything fits in and like if taking taking ownership and pride of each piece of that and knowing that you're of a piece because as an actor I think that's the probably the the when we're having the most fun when we're of a piece you know when we like not only get to do our thing but know that it fits into a larger whole totally yeah yeah Yeah, that it's uh it doesn't feel you don't feel as much as an imposter if you feel like part of a group and no exactly that's even though you are an imposter because you're an actor (laughs) yeah (laughs) and you should always know that and always feel a little bit of shame (laughs) you're gonna be the voice in my head for my next self-tape (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah exactly well that's self-tapes that's a great that's a great thing to leave off on because like your your process has to be um like all of that is your job yeah and doing an audition needs to be a thing that unto itself, you know, it can't be a stepping stone to a thing. Every audition has to be, because if you look back at at a long career of auditions, it's going to seem like a lot of wasted time, unless you recognize that putting together auditions and being prepared to enter a role, a character, a, a piece of a story, and then leave it forever is part of it like and taking joy in that it's kind of like that's really key I think to having creative success yeah 
inactive. Which means for me anyway. A rock star at self tapes, right? You got the you got the background, you got the lighting, you're you're set. I mean, what if I didn't? <laughs> hey, look at this. <laughs> Shangri-La. Backyard, Perfect yeah. vanilla uh, almond walls and you know, you're you're set. I don't know what I color that is. Color. <laughs> <laughs> right. uh, I, I do want to really quick for the last uh, two things. I want to thank you so much for, for coming on here. It's been like so easy to talk to you and uh, just learn more about your story, which is what this is all about. Just kind of getting to the mind of an artist. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, it's just it's been great. I, I do want to ask uh, before we do our final thing. Do you have anything that we can promote for this episode? which should be coming out uh, late May-ish. Oh, late May. Yeah. Um, yeah, hopefully I'll have some tour dates actually by then. I yes. don't know what they are, but Please. if it's late May, there'll be ticketing available for whatever that is because I've got a year ahead of me and I'm trying to work out right now when the best time is to hit the road and when mm-hmm. um, and what, yeah. <laughs> Cause it's also about like, I haven't really been able to prepare. I have like an hour of zoom stand up, but I don't know that that translates <laughs> um, because during production, we're not really, it's, we can't do any live show. I can't do yeah. any live shows even in other States cause it's just too risky um, with COVID production. So I haven't been able to do stand up in a really long time. And so um, I'm really looking forward to that. So hopefully by late May, there'll be some tour dates. So go to my website, Alice Wetterland, alicewetterland.com, or you can check out my, um, my Patreon, which is mostly fans.net. Um, <laughs> yeah. And there'll be stuff up there. That's awesome. Uh, any Denver possibilities? Oh, I'll check on that for you yes. specifically because <laughs> if it's not Comedy Works, um, I would love to just roll through Denver and yeah. do some other shows and stuff just because Denver rules and well, is a great I mean, place to perform. Well, I got a really awesome, fairly small venue uh, that's a brewery up in Broomfield near Boulder. So love if you Broomfield. Need a secondary. Okay. <laughs> See? Coming together. See? Look for it's me and working. Broomfield fans. It's working. Uh, okay, one last thing I'm going to do for this episode. We always do an awkward goodbye. Uh, so if you've seen Wayne's World, I'm going to do a silence, a one, two, three countdown, point to you. And then you give me your best verbal awkward goodbye. You think you uh, can be ready for that? Okay. Okay. And. Oh. Okay. Ha- mm. Yep. See ya.